WordPress plugins, crypto crime, and Microsoft Web Safety. All that and more on the Naked Security Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I am Doug. He is Paul. And Paul, we have an exciting lineup of stories that we'll get to today. But first, we'd like to begin the show with a fun fact. For those of you that play chess, anyone who's played chess knows that the queen is the most powerful piece on the board. It wasn't always that way, though. No, initially, the queen could only move one space diagonally. She was then upgraded to two. However, in the late 1400s, Spain's Queen Isabella led an improbable come-from-behind victory at the Siege of Baza, and from that point forth, the Queen became the strongest piece in chess. How do you like that? Boy, so if ever there's a pawn uprising, presumably pawns will be able to move in circles, perhaps, (laughs) or, or retreat if they need to. Well, that would be something, yeah. We'll talk a little bit about chess later in the show, not to foreshadow too much. This does have a link to our This Week in Tech History segment. Does it involve Alan Turing? Um, It involves his influences a bit, but no. Okay. Onwards and upwards, Doug? The uh, reverse of upwards, a a downward feeling in the uh, Elementor WordPress plugin. This is a popular website creation toolkit that many people use to drag and drop their uh, WordPress sites into the perfect harmonious design, and uh, something bad happens. A, a lesson in data validation, which we've talked about, seems like many, many times before, but uh, Paul, what happened here? Well, it's not the elemental tools themselves that had the bug. It's a plugin that essentially hooks up your standard WordPress installation with the elemental toolkit. Uh, it's called, <laughs> imaginatively, Essential Add-ons for Elementor. And like you said, the idea is that this is a whole load of templates and pre-built stuff that makes it easy for you to drag and drop funky things, such as, hey, I want a timeline. So instead of writing loads of JavaScript, you just make a timeline out of my posts. And when you visit that page, it will magically do all the work for you. Image galleries, good-looking forms for e-commerce sites, So you can understand why this is quite popular for people who want a good-looking site but don't want to spend seven weeks doing JavaScript hacking. And this uh, essential add-ons for Elementor plugin, unfortunately, it had what is essentially an input validation problem whereby you could provide input in a URL that it trusted, even though it shouldn't, built a file name, out of some data that you'd sent and it didn't check that you hadn't put the traditional funny characters in that file name dot dot slash dot dot slash dot dot slash dot dot which takes you up 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 and then across down 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 thus potentially allowing you to make an innocent looking web request to somebody's site and retrieve a file that was nothing to do with the website itself for example the username database etsy password file on linux or somebody else's files inside the WordPress setup. So you might have another user or a second customer with files in a directory name you could guess. Maybe you could just hop over to their part of the site and retrieve their data or data about their customers. And because this was part of a normal connection by a user rather necessary than someone logged in, 
it meant that essentially anybody could do it. This is tough because these WordPress plugins, there are many of them. Thousands. And um, they're generally trusted. If you've never worked with WordPress before, before you install one of these plugins, there's a little page with reviews and the number of downloads. So something like this that has a large number of downloads and, you know, four or five stars, you can see the comments on it too. So you generally trust these when you're installing them. And it'd be, it'd be very hard to know to look for something like this when you're installing one of these plugins. So this may have taken a lot of people by surprise. I think that's the problem, isn't it? That the user reviews aren't penetration tests code reviews or security oversight they're just people saying look i tried this work really well set up a beautiful website haven't had any problems with it and what they mean is well nobody's found a security hole yet or if they have they haven't used it against my site or they have used it against my site but i didn't haven't even noticed yet very good and if uh, you're using the essential add-ons for elementor plugin make sure you're running 5.0.6 And for web developers, we've been saying this again and again, what should they do, Paul? Validate thine inputs. Now, the irony here was that when this bug was reported to the creators of this plugin, they quickly produced a patch, but (laughs) that didn't (laughs) quite close off all the ways that you could sneak funny characters into your web request and cause this wandering around the file system escape. And then they did another, and that didn't close it properly. So I think they actually, the bug was found in 5.0.3, and then they quickly had 5.0.4, and then 5.0.5, and subsequently 5.0.6. We saw that with Log4Shell, didn't we? Mm -hmm. The quick fix did a great job, but it didn't do a complete job. And just by the way, Doug, if this sounds like, oh, well, all you can do is go and sneakily read files that aren't supposed to be accessible, Remember that particularly in PHP-type installations like WordPress, but not only PHP, this could be the case with IIS, if you have active server pages done with, say, Visual Basic Script, sometimes when you read a file on the other end, if the file has a particular extension like .php or .aspx or whatever it is for the web server being used, what that tells the server is, don't read in this file and return the content of the file. What it's saying is, read this file, run it as a local program, take the output of what that program creates and send that back to the user. So the Mm -hmm. problem is that when you have a file escape like this that lets you read files you're not really supposed to, it can also often lead to remote code execution. Because if you can guess that other scripts, maybe ones that only an admin is supposed to trigger, and you can reach out and trigger those from an unauthenticated web connection, you may be able to get the server to spill data or even let you run commands that are supposed to be off limits to you. It could actually get information about the whole server, about the whole WordPress installation, or even run commands that change content, put malware on there, etc., etc. All right. That is Elementor WordPress plugin has a gaping security hole. Update now on nakedsecurity.sophos.com, and we will deftly slip to this wormhole crypto trading story. This is a lot of money changing hands here, and it's an odd story. These things are always odd stories, aren't they? I did start reading this, this article, and I was like, wow, $340 million. That's got to be some sort. And then I was like, no, 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 Poly, Poly Networks was almost twice that. It's just like, no big deal, just gone. And I found myself going back to my own articles, even the day after I've written them, and thinking, oh, dear. 
I've made a terrible blunder. Silly me, I've accidentally written an old story as if it were new. <laughs> and you think, no, hang on, this is completely different. It's the same badness happened. I don't know whether it's braggadocio or bravado is the right word. I mean, this company, on its website, if you go to their main page, it has this big text, the best of blockchains, which led me to think of Charles Dickens, Doug. I couldn't think of anything but A Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of blockchains. It was the worst of blockchains. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct to the other place. In short, the, the period was so far like the present period <laughs> that some of its noisiest authorities insisted on its being received for good or for evil in the superlative degree of comparison only. $340 million due to some smart contract coding issue that apparently hadn't been foreseen. And once again, like with Poly Networks, they sent a, a zero-value Ether transaction where the transaction existed only to have a message in it. We noticed that you were able to exploit the Solana VAA verification and mint tokens. We'd like to offer you a white hat agreement. I seem to remember Uber got into an awful lot of trouble for doing that retrospectively, but mm -hmm. maybe it's different if you make the offer publicly. And we will present you with a bug bounty of 10 million for exploit details. Oh, and returning the money you have stolen. Yeah, wow. Uh, apparently it didn't work this time, Doug. Uh, as far as I know, they haven't heard anything. We have some tips at the end of the article. This is a great one that you've said before, but you kind of expanded upon it this time. If, if you're getting into cryptocurrency, never invest more than you can afford to lose. And by afford to lose, you don't mean I put $100 into this crypto, hopefully... I make $110, or it doesn't go down to $90. You mean, you mean it could get stolen and go, it could be zero? Here, I think that expectation is, yeah, I'm putting in 1000 bucks. It, like, if it goes down to half, that would really hurt, but it wouldn't leave me bereft. And I, I, I might get some advance warning, so I'll just keep my eye on it. And then, you know, you go to the kitchen to make yourself a cup of coffee, and you come back and <laughs> poof! <laughs> They've spun the wheel, black came up. Your red bet's gone. Whatever you put in, if you, if you know that if it comes out at zero, it'll hurt like crazy, but it won't derail your life, then you're okay. When it comes to cryptocurrency, how did Charles Dickens put it? It was the epoch of belief. It was the <laughs> epoch of incredulity. It was a season of light. It was the season of darkness, Doug. It's hard to know how well it's going to pan out for you. And another piece of advice you have here, which is great, with all these uh, crypto trading companies popping up, make sure to look for ones that will allow you to hold your crypto in your own offline cold wallet. Yes. When you're putting crypto tokens somewhere where they can be live traded, it's kind of like you have to trust that other person with the wherewithal to trade your currency for you by accident or by design. And that's the idea of a hot wallet. And so maybe, you know, if you are going to test the waters, maybe test it a little less aggressively at first, where you can actually make the investment, keep the result, 
securely at home. Don't lose the encryption key. Obviously, that's going to be a problem. That would be like setting fire to banknotes. But it does mean that you're not just putting this where you're relying on somebody else not making a programming blunder. All right. We will keep an eye on that. Something tells me this story may not be finished, but uh, that is Wormhole Crypto Trading Company turns over $340 million to criminals. It is time for This Week in Tech History. Well, we talked a bit about chess earlier in the show, and this week in February of 1996, IBM's Deep Blue supercomputer became the first machine to beat a human chess champion. Harry Kasparov lost two games of a six-game match against Deep Blue. It would take a rematch in May of 1997 for Deep Blue to win the match outright. Three and a half games to two and a half games. I'm guessing a half game is a, a draw. And I have a bonus fun fact for everyone, Paul. Researchers at Carnegie Mellon said in 1957 that it would only take 10 years for a computer to be able to beat the reigning world chess champion of the time, and it actually took 40 years. They did not realize how hard it would be to program computerized chess. I did also read, ironically, that um, it may have been the, the match that he lost outright, or one of the games that he lost, there was a bug in the code, and the computer made this weird move that he didn't understand. It was in, an incomprehensible weird move, and he thought, oh, this is some sort of brilliant thing I haven't thought of. And so he kind of panicked a little bit, and really? that's what uh, cost him the game because of a computer bug doing something that uh, a human wouldn't have done. So not all bugs are bad, I guess. It's more of a feature. It still doesn't answer the question, can machines think? Uh, <laughs> which, that's why I was thinking of Alan Turing earlier. <laughs> yeah, apparently research, I read that uh, researchers that are working on computerized chess say it still hasn't been cracked. It still hasn't been solved. There's still so many permutations. But one thing that people are trying to solve at Microsoft is web safety. We've got a two-pack of web safety stories. And uh, let's start with the, the app installer one. They're both rather interesting. One of them deals with a recent cybersecurity incident. In fact, Sophos Labs, I think, I think we were among the first people to investigate this for the reason that a whole load of people at Sophos, myself included, received the email in this particular cyber criminal attack. And naked security readers may remember this this was a, a, an article from last November, uh, which we entitled Customer Complaint Email Scam Preys on Your Fear into Getting into Trouble at Work. And I think we talked about this on the podcast, didn't we? Where it yep. was <laughs> the Sophos main manager assistant. I remember you thought that was a bit of a joke because there was no <laughs> such job title. But it was kind of, hey, there's a customer complaint against you, someone in support. Why on earth didn't you tell us? We've got a crisis meeting. You should have told me. You better read this. You better see what the customer's <laughs> saying about you. And there's a link. And then it goes to a PDF file, except the PDF file, well, you need to install this program. And it's an Adobe PDF component. But it's very different to other traditional executable downloader phishing scams. It didn't just go, oh, you need this new codec, download this executable, run it. Because everyone knows that's a terrible idea. It actually used a system that is available to use on your own web server but it's probably more closely associated in people's minds with how it works when you go to somewhere more trusted or at least vetted, like the Microsoft Store. Instead of an HTTPS colon slash slash link, you get a link that's MS dash app installer colon slash slash. And if you click one of those on Windows, it doesn't just download the file, it launches and processes it in this app installer utility 
which gives you a more believable experience than just, hey, download this program and run it. Firstly, the app has to be digitally signed, except that it's just the app bundle that's digitally signed and the name that shows up for the program. In the case we examined, it just said publisher Adobe Inc. And it said trusted app with a little green check mark. But if you clicked on trusted app, well, actually, the company name that came up was an accounting firm in the UK. Seems a bit weird, but it was a real company. As far as we can tell, it was a real digital signature. Somehow the crooks had got this. And just by signing this app bundle, they could basically deviate someone who might otherwise be quite suspicious about downloading an installer into something that looked much more legitimate, perhaps than anything they'd ever seen before if they'd never used the Microsoft Store. The other idea of app bundles is it's like an Uber zip file. It actually contains more than you need. So it'll have versions for different flavors of Windows, different chipsets. So if you've got ARM versus Intel, it'll get the right one for you. So it kind of feels like the operating system is in charge of this. This isn't just, hey, download this file, stick it on your desktop and then double click it. Microsoft admitted that this was considered a vulnerability. It got a CVE number. They gave out some mitigations about how you could control this, such as locking people down so this process only worked if you went to the Microsoft store. Well, finally, they've decided the kind of abuse that this has attracted from crooks, the fact that they can make things look much more trustworthy than they really are. They're actually going to block MS app installer URLs by default from random websites. So although it's a feature that they really liked, that they claim was popular with vendors, I can see why. You build the package, and then when the download happens, it's more likely to work properly for the user. Basically, if you have been using this app bundle process, a prepackaged app rather than just an old school installer, you may need to change your ways because Microsoft has basically deliberately broken a feature in its own operating system for the greater good of all. How about that, Doug? That seems consumer-friendly, although I'm sure it'll uh, cause a little consternation against uh, software developers that are using app bundles to distribute their software. Yes, they have said that they want to keep the principle and the protocol, but find a better way of doing it. Like we said last week, when you have things that make cybersecurity easier, sometimes you end up making it too easy. And if that were okay, we'd all have two character passwords, Doug. (laughs) people would still forget their passwords okay that's microsoft blocks web installation of its own app installer files another exciting story of things being turned off by default yes having written that story about app installer i think i wrote that yesterday when i woke up this morning i thought oh well i wouldn't i wonder what i'll be writing about today microsoft changed the world yesterday and i had a look my golly (laughs) it's like a bus (laughs) you wait for years and then Two come along at once, <laughs> uh, which is the way of traffic. And maybe maybe these two things are related. Somebody decided to approve both of these changes at once. But this is, in my opinion, a much longer overdue default change. And that is that if you get an office document via the internet, e.g. you receive it as an email attachment or download it from the web and then open it, then instead of getting that warning, the yellow warning that says, ooh, there's macros in here, it could be bad, click here for bad things to happen, and everyone clicks there, and the crooks have little arrows, 
saying, yep, you should <laughs> click this button. It's really important. It will improve your security. Instead of having that by default, but an option that admins can set on that says, no, don't allow it at all. Again, they're flipping that round. And apparently, by default, in some versions of Word, over the next 12 months, on some operating systems for <laughs> some of the apps in the office stable. So this is still very much a sort of uh, incomplete fix, but I'm not going to knock it anyway. Basically, unless you go out of your way to allow your users to do this on a corporate network, or you go fiddling around as a user at home. If you get a document from the internet and you open it up just to see what's in it, you won't get that enable content button. You will get a red pop-up that says, a pink pop-up that says, security risk, Microsoft has blocked macros from running because the source of the file is untrusted. End of. So given that a lot of people in the cybersecurity industry have been wanting something like this in office since about 1995 and a half, or, <laughs> uh, that, well, it was towards the end of 1995 when word macro viruses came out. Then we had the combined office suite in 1997 where there was this visual basic for applications language, the macro language, basically the same code work in multiple operating systems and in multiple document types. You could use very similar identical code in Excel and in PowerPoint and in doc files. Ever since then, there's been this call, why don't you just make this optional? Why don't you let someone have a version of Office where they just say, you know what, I know macros are lovely, I know they're super powerful, I know I paid for them, but I want to install without them. I'd like to have the supercharger disconnected, please. <laughs> if I really need it, I'll go in and get the mechanic to fit it again if I'm willing to burn 40% more fuel in return for <laughs> bigger wheel spins. So a step in the right direction. Absolutely. Yeah. If you're using Office 2022, that's going to roll out over the next coming 12 months, I believe. So this feature will only start in April 2022, and only the early adopters will get it in their versions of Office at first. But I think it's the cultural change that is big. All right. That is called, at last, Office Macros from the Internet to be blocked by default. If you'd like to read more, it's on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And as the sun slowly sets on our episode this week, it's time for the oh no. On Reddit, user WeldonMike27 writes, Years ago, my wife worked at a local TV station helping people with the changeover from VHF to UHF signal. Some TVs required flicking a switch on the back or just doing something behind it. One gentleman called up, very agitated, claiming that the changeover had caused a split in the picture. Literally, one side of the screen was a different definition than the other side. My wife and the local tech support were pulling their hair out, trying to figure out what might have happened. Obviously, nothing like this had happened before. It took ages and some very heated discussions until the gentleman finally realized that his TV was coated in dust. And while playing around at the back, he'd rubbed half the layer of dust off one side of the screen. Yeah. If you remember those old tube TVs, they would just it was just like a dust magnet. Because it's all it's all electrons flying around, isn't it? So it's gonna mm -hmm. get charged up. UHF. That's going back away, Doug. Those were the days. Well, they weren't, but they were days. <laughs> so if you have an oh no you'd like to submit, we'd love to read it on the podcast. You can email tips at sophos.com. You can comment on any one of our articles or hit us up on social at naked security. 
That is our show for today. Thanks very much for listening. For Paul Ducklin, I'm Doug Ameth, reminding you until next time to stay secure. secure.